Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This podcast is for mature audiences. It contains graphic violence and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Realm Presents Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral, Episode 7. 1851, Sonorian Camp, California. United States colonial expansion is unstoppable. Up north, the treaties of Traverse de Sioux and Mendota turn over 24 million acres of Dakota land to settler colonists in what will become the state of Minnesota. I had to ride down to the Sonorian camp, southeast of Coyuma, to meet with the man I knew only as Garcia. The camp had been founded by men from my own state of Sonora, Mexico, experienced miners who had employed their skills instead of following those who had gone before and relying on dumb luck. They had known how to look for gold and how to take it from the earth and they'd been so successful, it was said that their riches had inspired the foreign miners' tax. I wondered if I knew anybody there, or at least their families. I was not to meet Garcia directly, but to go to a particular house and announce myself. From there, I'd been told, I would be taken to where Garcia was. It seemed like a lot of effort to meet an outlaw. But then, if an outlaw was too easy to find, he wouldn't remain loose for long. I found the house easily enough. I rode up to it, dismounted and tied off my horse. Then I checked the way my coat hung at my side and the accessibility of the Bowie knife's grip. The door opened before I reached it, and a burly man with a long mustache and a mass of dark curls on his head stood before me. His expression was less than welcoming. I told him I'd come to meet Garcia. The burly man looked unimpressed. (coughs) Your name? Murieta. The whole name? Joaquin Murieta, from Trincheras. At that, 
The man grinned. I'm from Cabroca. Is that right? I was married there. At Nuestra Senora? Yes, without parental permission. The priest didn't want to do it, but my bride persuaded him with some help from me. Help? With the musket? See, si, that was us! <laughs> People still talk about that. The padre retired not long after. <laughs> he said the priesthood was becoming too dangerous. I wouldn't have really killed them. At least I don't think I would have. <laughs> well, it's good to meet the man behind the legend. I'm Alfredo Puente. He offered me his hand, and I took it. Good to meet you too, Alfredo. When can I see Garcia? Sorry, right away. He led me to a small stone structure that smelled of meat cooked over open flames. Puente gestured for me to go in. Are you coming? Me? No, 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 no. My part is done. Then he turned and walked away. I put a hand on the coat's grip and walked in. The inside was dark. The only light coming from an open fireplace at the rear. I saw a shadowy form sitting at the darkest table. I called out to it. Garcia? Yes. Joaquin Murieta? Oh, come, sit. Keeping an eye out for anyone hiding in the shadows, I pulled out a chair and took a seat opposite the man I assumed was Garcia. He struck a match to light a thin cigar, and the light revealed the familiar features of my cousin Manuel. Tres Dedos appraised me for a few moments as if making sure I was really who I said I was. Then he threw back his head and laughed. He rushed around the table and threw his arms around me, lifting me off the floor. Pensé que estabas muerto. Yo pensé que tú lo estabas. He put me back on the floor and we both doubled over, laughing. I barely managed to get back on the chair without falling over. I was laughing so hard. What's with this Garcia business? He wiped his eyes and picked up his cigar. I thought I'd try to be careful for a while. Keep my real name secret. Americans have started calling me Three Finger Jack. Ah, I much prefer Tres Edos. Three Finger Jack sounds more frightening to the Americans. So I don't argue with it. So you really are an outlaw now. Seems time to give it a try. I've been riding with Salomon Pico for a few weeks. And since I recovered from that beating, then why are you here? I heard you were looking for new partners. Pico ha perdido la cabeza. He's taking crazy chances. Anyone who rides with them is likely to end up killed outright or captured and hanged. So you want to keep making money, but you want to follow someone who has a plan. A strategic genius who knows the region, knows where the money is and how to get it. If you find such a man, let me know who he is. I am such a man, cousin. Joaquin, you're the smartest man I know. And I know better than to underestimate you. But I never thought of you of a, as the outlaw type. Nor are you, cousin. But here we are. I've tried my hands at making money in California the honest way. And it hasn't worked. I've become known as the Mexican murderer, 
and killed every man I've set out to so far without getting caught. Now there are more men who need killing, those who murder Jesus and my friend Burns. And once that's done, I see no reason why we shouldn't try to make a living with our guns and our brains instead of our shoulders and backs. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? You've always been sharper than people give you credit for. Yes, there is more for me. As I said, I have several more men I need to kill. But first, I need to raise some money. And I want revenge on every white man who has ever turned up his nose to a Mexicano. Our people have been treated like dogs for too long. Now you sound like Pico. I shared in Pico's goals. But my execution would be different. I would strike like lightning, without warning, never in the same place twice, and with devastating results. Sounds good. But can you lead men walking? Outlaws who defy rules and rulers. I believe I can. If I'm wrong, I expect those men to kill me and choose a new leader of their own. As long as you know what to expect, I will lean on you for support, cousin, since you've had a taste of the outlaw life. What do you think, Tres Dedos? Will you ride with me? Do you have a plan? I've been thinking of one. Those two sawmills at Sawmill Flat, together, they employ well over a hundred men. Their payrolls arrive together once a month. We know when they arrive and the route they take. The route is well guarded, but a team of able men could take it. Rich pickings, huh? Rich indeed. But the workers are Mexicanos mostly, and Peruvians. Won't we just be hurting our own? The companies have to pay their employees, so they'll replace the payroll. The workers will still get paid. We'll only be stealing from the American owners. Oh, I like that. It won't be easy, though. We'll have to kill some people. <laughs> Count me in. The next day, Tres Dedos took me to meet the men who also deserted Salomon Pico. My cousin's horse, an enormous black stallion, seemed to groan beneath his weight. I climbed on the horse I'd taken from Bernardo, back in Murphy's for which I still owed 10 times its value. We rode away from the Sonorian camp, west toward the towering Sierra Nevada mountains. Not long into our journey, we left the beaten trail and ventured through a thickly forested area toward a meadow abutting a towering cliff face. Tres Dedos rode up beside me. Are you ready to meet the boys? You're in for a surprise. Are we there? Very nearly. We've been watched for the last 10 minutes. The statement took me by surprise. I had thought the dense foliage would have made that impossible. But I saw now that through the overhead canopy, I could see the upper heights of the cliff. If I could see those, I could also be seen from there. Do they know it's you? They do. And if I was bringing you here under duress, they know that too. You signaled them? 
he held up a half-smoked cigar. Huh? Last cigar I lit just before we entered the trees. If I had been a prisoner leading you here at gunpoint, I'd have thrown it on the ground immediately after lighting it. <laughs> but because I kept it going, they know I'm bringing a friend. That was reassuring. If we were going to be outlaws together, it was good to know he took no unnecessary chances. As we drew near, I saw tents in the meadow pitched around a cook fire. Flames licked at the carcass of a wild hog, and four men sat around the fire, drinking, smoking, and tending to the meat. At our approach, they rose, greeting us with friendly smiles. Amigos, this is Joaquin Murieta. You may have heard of him as the Mexican murderer. He has a proposition for us. One of the men waved me over. Ben, sit, have a drink, and something to eat. I studied the faces. Most were young, all Mexicanos. Then I spotted one that looked familiar, almost a mirror image of my beloved Rosita, and nearly fell off my horse. Reyes, is that you? Joaquin, when Manuel said that name, I thought it was a coincidence, but now I can see that it's really you. I dropped from the saddle and swept Reyes Feliz up in a warm embrace. Then he became more grave, gripping my arms so tightly they hurt. I heard what happened to Rosa. I came north seeking revenge but ran into Manuel and Pico and joined them until I could make my way farther north. Then Manuel told me that you already finished what I hoped to do. I had to. Then justice is done. Gracias, mi hermano. Reyes released me and gestured toward a man to clasp my hand. Look who else is here. My cousin Claudio. We've never met. But Rosita told me stories. It's un honor. You look like Reyes and Rosita. People often mistake Reyes and me for brothers. Then I'll consider you family as well. The Feliz family was always good to me. Enough, Tres Dedos said. You all talk too much, like a bunch of old women at the Marqueta. Let me introduce you to the rest of the group, Joaquin, and we could continue the family reunion later. Tres Dedos pointed out to others, both seemingly in their 20s, scarred and battle-hardened like the rest. This is Joaquin Valenzuela, and here is Luis Bulvia. Antonio Valencia is up on the cliff, standing watch. But you'll meet him soon. I look forward to it. Now, why don't you sit with us and explain your plan? Gentlemen, I think you'll like this. It involves killing gringos. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. We stayed at the camp, drinking and talking, for a couple of days. We rounded up four more outlaws and gathered supplies before riding to a point about midway between the San Joaquin River and Sawmill Flat. The payroll traveled by steamer from San Francisco to Stockton, where it was loaded onto a pair of wagons for the overland trip. Some of the guards who accompanied it upriver rode in the wagons. Others took turns riding scout, either up ahead of the wagons, watching for ambush, or dropping behind in case someone with ill intent was following. The wagons traveled from Stockton to the west side of the San Joaquin River through the Great Valley. Near the juncture of the San Joaquin and Mariposa Rivers, they crossed over and headed westward into the foothills, where we waited. A direct assault was out of the question. The payroll guards were trained well-equipped and ready for just such a scenario. The scouts had established a routine. After riding ahead as a pair for 30 minutes, one would return to the wagons to inform the people there that the next stretch was clear. The rider would then return to his partner who was waiting in place, and they'd ride ahead for another 30 minutes at which time the second scout would return with the news. That way, 
The wagon guards always knew the situation a short distance ahead. And if ever a guard failed to return on schedule, they would know that trouble lurked. Behind the wagons, the rear scouts only rode for 15 minutes, checking the back trail before one reported back. The route avoided narrow passes whenever possible, and the men in and alongside the wagons kept sharp lookouts to every side. They had made this trip often enough to have identified every possible ambush spot. But that meant they took the same route every time, which was what I counted on. Because the guards weren't locals, but men dispatched from San Francisco Bank that supplied the payroll funds. They didn't know that as they entered the foothills, several underground shafts crossed their path. None of the outlaws had made a success of mining, but the experienced miners of the Sonorian camp had worked underground mines back in Mexico and in California. They knew how to dig shafts, to extract minerals, and how to bring shafts down. Bulvilla and Valencia were stationed on hilltops about 20 minutes away from the chosen shaft. At the first sign of the scouts, one of them would ride to alert the rest of us of the wagon's approach, while the other would stay put to watch for any change of direction. That would give the work crew almost an hour to prepare the shaft. I waited with Tres Dedos and Reyes, hidden among a spray of boulders just north of the trail. Joaquin Valenzuela was on the opposite hillside, and Claudio Feliz was inside the shaft with the miners. The day was warm, the rocks reflecting bright sun, and I fanned myself with my hat as we traded stories of home. After what seemed like hours, I heard approaching hoofbeats and stood. Antonio Valencia raced towards us, hunched low over his horse. Arreyes and Tres Dedos got to their feet, stretched, and we climbed down from our rocky perch. We reached the trail just as Valencia did. He reined his mount to a halt and jumped down. They're coming! Two scouts! Just as you described! Arreyes handed Valencia a canteen, and the young man drank deep. After he swallowed, he asked, Should I stay here now? Or go back. Stay. Luis can let us know if there are any changes in the route. Rest for a while. Reyes, go into the shaft and tell Claudio and the others to get ready. Reyes hurried off to the shaft's entrance, which was on the far side of the northern slope. The men were already treating me as their leader, and I liked it. Only Tres Dedos viewed me as an equal, not a boss. I suspected... The others had been accustomed to following Pico's leadership and were most comfortable as followers. Tres Dedos nodded his head toward where we'd been hiding amidst the rocks. Together with Antonio, Tres Dedos and I went back up the slope where we waited for the scouts to appear. We watched silently from the rocks as they rolled by, but neither one spotted us. One scout turned back a little later 
to report that the way ahead was clear. We checked our weapons. Among the boulders on the north slope, we had positioned five rifles and several pistols, along with plenty of ammunition. Reyes returned from the mine shaft to confirm all was in readiness there. Then he and Tres Dedos moved to the south slope and stretched out just beneath the crest with Valenzuela and another five rifles. When Vulvilla rode up to report that the wagons were still on their usual path, he joined Valencia and me on the northern side. For a while, all was silent except for the occasional music of songbirds. But then, I heard the rumble of hooves and wagon wheels growing nearer. At the mouth of the shaft, Claudio was supposed to be listening for the same thing. The crucial moment was now. If the timing wasn't just right, the whole effort would be pointless. Or worse, none of the men in a position to see the wagon's approach could signal to those in the shaft. So it would fall to Claudio to correctly interpret what he heard then race inside the shaft to tell the miners that it was time. Then the miners themselves would have to complete their work quickly or it would be the last job they ever did. But there was nothing I could do but wait. The scout that had returned to the wagons rode past again, just as oblivious to our presence as he had been the first time. We let him pass not wanting gunfire to alert the men with the wagons. If he didn't get too far ahead, he might return and create a complication, but we'd deal with that if we had to. The wagons came into view, each drawn by a team of four horses, rounding the curve that led between the two hills. As I expected, there were two of them, flanked by riders, in the bed of each wagon, two riflemen accompanied the crates that contained the payrolls. More riders brought up the rear. Anxiety gripped me. What if my plan turned into a disaster? I took a few deep breaths, wiped my hands on my pants, and used the end of my sash to dry my face. Everything would work out. It had to. The wagons were getting closer every moment. Why was nothing happening? Then a massive explosion rocked the earth. With a jet of flame, rocks and dirt shot into the air and rained down. Some of the boulders on the slope shifted and one started rolling, creating a small landslide. Valenzuela lost his footing and caught himself on a boulder, giving a little cry of surprise that would have alerted the wagon's guards if the explosion hadn't deafened them. A plume of smoke erupted just in front of the first wagon, and the earth caved in. The horses pulling the first wagon panicked, trying to break away from their traces, but it was too late. The two in front tumbled into the sudden opening. The two animals following tried to rear away from it, but the weight of the first two horses dragged them into the hole as well. 
The screams of the horses were terrible. Nightmare sounds that I, even with all my ranch experience, couldn't have imagined. The wagon came to an uneasy rest halfway into the hole, but the horses beneath it bucked and writhed, tossing the wagon like a small boat on a stormy sea. The drivers of the rear wagon tried to steer his team around it, but his horses were no longer taking direction. As panicked as the first team, they collided with one another and tried to bolt in different directions. The wagon skidded, then tipped over. The crates and riflemen fouled out, and the horses dragged the sideways wagon for another minute before they gave up. The mounted guards fared little better. One fell into the opening with his horse. Another was bucked off immediately, and his skull smacked against one of the fallen rocks while more crashed down onto him. The horses of the two men riding between the wagons were both hurt or startled by the blast and the crashing wagons, and the riders went down. The two riders ahead of the blast pulled up and turned around, trying to fathom what was happening, while the two bringing up the rear were able to stop in time to avoid the worst of it. Their horses pranced nervously, making it almost impossible for them to get off an accurate shot. One dropped his rifle in the act of drawing it from its scabbard. The other yanked his and studied the hills, looking for what he rightly assumed was a trap. Este es el momento, muchachos. Háganlo valer. I targeted the two in the rear first. I fired a rifle, missed, reloaded, and corrected my aim. I fired again. This time, I hit one man's horse in the flank. That man was already raising his rifle to return fire, but the horse buckled beneath him, throwing off his shot. I fired a third time and hit the rider square in the chest. Then the men around me were firing too, each targeting a different guard. Tres dedos whooped with every shot, as if to encourage his bullets toward their targets. Heavy fire from both sides of the canyons cut the remaining guards down, wounded if not dead, and some were still struggling to emerge from the exploded shaft. We started down from our hiding places to finish the guards and claim our prize. We moved cautiously, staying behind cover as much as possible, except for Tres Dedos, who cast aside his rifle and charged down the slope, drawing a huge knife from a sheath on his belt. Tres Dedos reached the first of the fallen guards before I had even made it halfway down. He caught a fistful of the man's hair and yanked his head up then slashed across the man's exposed throat with a blade with enough force that the man's head was halfway severed. By the time Valencia and I were on the canyon floor, joined by Valenzuela, Reyes, and Burbilla, we moved from man to man, finishing off any still living with pistol shots to the head. Every white face I shot at, I imagined they were men from the mob that had hanged my brother. This was for Jesus and every other Mexicano killed or beaten for no reason. 
The last of the guards had been hit only in the arm, and a bullet had grazed his temple, knocking him out of the fight. I realized he might live. I called out to Joaquin Valenzuela, who looked from where he was crouching at Tres Dedos' side, watching him finish what he had started. Valenzuela, you know some of the healing arts, yes? Un poco. See what you could do for this man. I want him to live. I want him to be able to tell the others about what happened here. We can make it look like the Indians did it, Reyes suggested. Pico often did that. No. I want the Americans to fear us, not Indians. Now do what you can to save that man. While Valenzuela wrapped tourniquet around the wounded man's upper arm, all was quiet except the cries and whimpers of the wounded horses. I went to the opening and fired down at the injured creatures until they were still and at peace. Claudio and the miners returned from the shaft. I counted heads to make sure they all had survived. That was perfect. You men did exactly what you said you could. Whatever is in these crates, half of it is yours. Tres Dedos looked up from reloading his weapons. Half? Have you become rich in the time we've been apart, Joaquin? Me? You know I'm far from rich. I thought only the wealthy were so generous. With treasures that's not theirs. We wouldn't have anything without them. And they risked their lives just as much as we did. They're honest, hardworking men with familias. Besides, they'll have to buy a lot of dynamite to replace what they used here. They can have half. We'll have plenty of opportunity to increase our wealth. Tres Dedos looked like he wanted to say something else, but he checked himself and gave a nod. None of the other men raised an objection, which answered the question I had been wondering about. I was the leader of all these men, including Tres Dedos. They would take orders from me, even when they disagreed. And it was just the beginning. I would add more members to the gang, increase our wealth and power along with my own. I had finally found the place, the person I was meant to be. Soon, all California would tremble at the mention of my name. The trouble with being a leader of men was that I had to have some place to lead them. I was proud of myself for coming up with the plan to rob the sawmill payrolls, and prouder still that it had worked. But that had been my only real plan. Now, I had a crew of outlaws looking to me for ideas to increase our riches, and I didn't have any. Meanwhile, I still had another goal in mind. I had planned to accomplish it alone. But now that I had my men ready and willing to do what I commanded, I might as well put them to use. Valenzuela was tending a campfire 
and Burbiña and the Feliz Boys had gone out looking for something to cook on it. Tres Dedos, Valencia, and I leaned on some fallen trees, drinking. I have to go back to Murphy's diggings. What's there? Valencia asked. About 20 Americans who have to die. Valencia's face broke into a ragged tooth grin. Anyone in particular? Or just the first 20 gringos we see? I explained about the hanging of Jesus and my own whipping and how I had decided to let Will Lang live. That still left everyone else who had been part of the mob. They had to learn that such crimes merited special consequences. Tres Dedos rubbed the back of his head. I look forward to seeing those faces again. I owe them too. Some I want to kill myself. But yes, you can have some, just as long as I can watch. I want them to know why they're dying. That I can definitely arrange. The following day, we stopped in the canyon long enough to bury most of the payroll money. After first parceling out some to each man and to get some of the provisions Valenzuela had promised were there, it was all food that could be safely stored, jerky and hardtack and the salted beef and the like, but washed down with strong coffee, it filled our stomachs. We stayed one day, then started for Murphy's diggings. Along the way, I filled the others in about my plans, and Tres Dedos and I described the men I was looking for as well as we could. Some I wouldn't remember until I saw their faces. I was confident, though, that I would know them when I saw them. I rode into Murphy's. Only a few months had passed, but the town seemed like a different place. The sign at our saloon was gone, replaced by a hand-painted sign offering Doctors, druggists, potions for all ailments. The oak still stood though. Was there a sturdy oak left in California that hadn't seen a Mexican hang? I doubted it. I had left most of the men outside of town and gone in with just Reyes Feliz, who was still young enough that he didn't look threatening. I wore my hat pulled low shading most of my face and packed my red sash in a saddlebag. We rode slowly down the main street as I studied every man's face I saw. I spotted one man I recognized, an older fella with a nose that had been broken at some point and never properly set. I nudged Reyes and nodded toward the man. That one, when he looked to the east, his nose looks north. I see him. I figured if I could point out some of my targets to Reyes, then he could come into town with one or two of the others. Tres Dedos could make trips in with the other men and do the same. Little by little, we would all learn to recognize the members of the mob. After riding the length of the street, we dismounted and entered one of the saloons. I avoided making eye contact with anyone inside and let Reyes order us a couple of drinks. We sat at the table in the corner, both with our backs to a wall, 
so we could see the whole place. Three of the men were inside, including the one who had shot Burns and two others who had joined the mob late. Should I start shooting? No, causing a scene now would make it harder to locate the other men I was after. I didn't want to begin the killing until I identified as many as I could. Instead, I discreetly directed Reyes' attention to each in turn. We stayed for an hour, but none of the other men I sought came in, so we left and rode out of town to rejoin the others. Three more days passed. We had located 11 members of the mob. Not enough to satisfy me, but I had a balanced satisfaction with practicality. Some might have moved on. Some might have died in the interim. I couldn't wait until I had every single one in my sights because then I would never get revenge on any of them. It was time to act. Six men so far had been tracked to their homes. The first three killings were easy. Follow a man home, go inside, kill him. When we had time, we searched the victim's homes for valuables. So far, we had found a few ounces of gold and other currency, several guns and knives, and random foodstuffs to make our camp outside of town a little more comfortable but those men had been incidental to the death of my brother, not the prime instigators. I wanted the big blonde man, Jacob Schmidt. And I wanted that murder to send a message. You're listening to Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral. Blood and Gold is a Realm production in association with Stryker Entertainment. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Ever since that fantasy show which shall not be named but had a disappointing final season ended, I've been in a rut. I'm always looking for a good story about a young underdog with something to prove. So I have good news because in Born to the Blade, a new podcast from Realm, we don't just get one underdog, we get two. In Born to the Blade, two young blade crafters eager to serve their respective countries vie for power and survival in a treacherous floating world on the brink of war. And when a rebellion leader known as the Golden Lord is beheaded, these warriors in training will do everything possible to ensure that riots don't lead to more bloodshed. Born to the Blade is airing now, wherever you get your podcasts. So be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Blood and Gold stars Richard Cabral, based on the novel Blood and Gold, The Legend of Joaquin Murrieta, by Jeffrey J. Marriott and Peter Murrieta. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Adapted for audio by Greg Cox. Directed by Fred Greenhalge. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Russell Binder, Peter Murrieta, Julian Yap, and Richard Cabral. Historical notes read by Elena Ray. 
Spanish dialogue translated by Alana Grafham. Regional dialect coaching by Luis Armando Mercado Campos. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Mixing, mastering, and additional sound design by Rory O'Shea. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original score by Juan Carlos Enriquez. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Blood and Gold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.